So my name's Genevieve, if I haven't met you yet, and I'll be reading Matthew 19, which is page 800 of the Church Bible. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life.
But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Thanks, Genevieve. That's great. Who's well, going to be back? Thanks for the warm welcome here. And uh, my favourite season as well, autumn. So uh, isn't that beautiful? Have you ever misheard the urgency of a situation? Maybe that's the wrong question. How many times just this year have you already misheard the urgency of a situation? The night our son Aaron was born, he's 26 now, uh, Gita went to bed with just a little bit of back pain and uh, woke me up. Two hours later, she's having contractions. Now, given that Gita's first labour with Aisha was nine hours, I'm thinking, well, you know, there's the script, so I'm just packing my bag. Oh, where's that book? Um, and then Gita was just a tad more urgent. John, we've got to get going now. All right, okay. So we wander out to the car, half asleep, and, you know, start dawdling down Shepherd's Hill Road at 40 kilometres an hour. And, and then suddenly she just yells at me, John, drive faster. I need to push now. <laughs> And so suddenly, I got it. Suddenly, I thought, oh, this baby's coming. Like, now, um, I sped up, raced straight up the uh, emergency ramp, level three Flinders, right outside the doors, parked illegally, walked into an unusually quiet A&E and yelled out, my wife is, needs to push now. She's in labor. And they just looked at me and went back to what they were doing. Like, Really? Well, no, they didn't. Suddenly, it was a hive of activity. Nurses were running, wheelchair, rushing her up to labour ward. And not long after, our son Aaron was born. See, suddenly, those words brought a quiet A&E alive. I never did get to read that book, by the way. But have you ever misheard, or how many times this year already, have you really misheard the urgency of a situation, the seriousness of a situation? See, when, uh, as I understand it, a woman goes into a labour, this is the baby, you know, ringing the doorbell, demanding that growing ups like us just drop whatever we're doing. Doesn't matter what we're doing, you just drop it. You've got to let go of it. And we've got to give ourselves totally to this baby's imminent coming. And there's no stopping it, is there? And this is Matthew's point about Jesus first coming and his second. Matthew's point about Jesus' arrival into the world. Nothing can stop or deter Jesus fulfilling his father's mission for him. To give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life for the forgiveness of sins. To then come into his kingdom with all power and authority to judge the living and the dead. But especially for any who hear Jesus' call to come, to repent and believe in him. He promises to bring them with him into his kingdom. And so here we are, we're up to chapter 19, we're uh, a good you know, two and a half years, really, into um, Jesus' public ministry here. And Jesus is seriously urgent that humans hear and heed his word as the one who alone can provide safe passage home to life with God in God's new world when we die. And I don't know if you heard in the whole chapter, but there were three comings to Jesus, three groups or people coming to Jesus in the chapter. Now, I've chunked uh, the chapter under four headings around those three comings and teaching of Jesus. The first is why every human needs Jesus, the way any human can find life with Jesus, but also the way any one of us can miss out on entering into life with Jesus. And then finally, Jesus' beautiful promise for a good life. 
Jesus' beautiful promise for a brilliant life. In fact, the best life we can be living. So we begin, why every human needs Jesus. And we heard there right at the start of the chapter that when Jesus had finished these sayings from chapter 18, he went away from the region of Galilee. He entered the region of Judea, which is beyond the Jordan River. So Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus will not return to Galilee until after he's raised from the dead to meet his disciples. Um, I might have been one of the many that flocked to the Ed Sheehan concert. Uh, But like an Ed Sheehan concert, large crowds are following Jesus. They're flocking after him, except it's dangerous times for Jesus and his disciples. You see, the Jewish religious leaders, they've heard enough. They've had enough. They've come to test Jesus, we're told, to test Jesus with the hot potato issue of the day for this particular region. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife? Is it lawful to divorce one's partner for any reason, for any cause? Now, as I understand it, Scott's circling back later in the year to deal more substantially with marriage, divorce, remarriage and relationship issues. Um, So I'm just going to make a few observations here that are pertinent to, I think, the really big idea of the chapter and why every human needs Jesus. But Matthew goes um, to effort to tell us where the action takes place. The first thing to notice is where this action is taking place. Matthew chapter 14 records that Judea is where John the Baptist did his ministry in Jordan. He spoke out against Herod, Antipas, and his adultery with his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. You see, both had dumped and divorced their respective partners to marry the other. And because John the Baptist publicly called them out on their adultery, he was arrested and he was beheaded. The Jewish religious leaders, they're very aware of this, looking for a way to impeach Jesus, to kill Jesus, because Jesus has become a threat to their power base and the way of life. Which brings us to the second observation here in the chapter. It's a little word, test. The little word test or tempt, it's actually the same word used of Satan when he came to test Jesus in the desert to try and subvert Jesus from God's mission for him. Now, Satan is a name that means adversary. This means you're against God and his purposes. You're against Jesus. So if Jesus does not have your trust and allegiance, then I think we're to sort of appreciate that we in some way are his adversary consciously or unconsciously doing satan's bidding and i think that's a pretty sobering thought for us on a sunday morning but notice how jesus notice how jesus loves these hard-hearted unbelievers even the very people who are trying to trap him and kill him he engages with them and he teaches them the truth of god's word for them That's how Jesus always expresses his love uh, for people in the Gospels, is he teaches them. He holds out the truth of God's word for them. I think it's a great reminder for us that um, Jesus' people and how we are to always humbly and patiently persevere with similar people who may be in our own lives and ministries because it's God who gives repentance, God who saves. Our job is to hold out the word of life wherever we are, whoever we're with. That brings us to that third observation in the passage. We speed up as we get going, okay? Third observation is verse 8. Jesus teaches us in verse 8 that the divorce 
remarriage question, from God's point of view, is actually a bit of a smokescreen. It's actually not the real issue here. It's just symptomatic of a much more fundamental sickness that's plaguing humanity that Jesus has come to cure. Have a look with me if you've got your Bibles open. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Now that word hardness of heart, it's the idea of being obstinate, stubborn, unyielding. Now, I don't need to tell you about how unyielding or stubborn my own heart is or just how many relationships I've dented, uh, even damaged irreparably over the course of my life. Because haven't we all got our own stories? Times when our own hearts have just been unyielding, obstinate, you know, stubborn, just didn't want to hear it, refused to act on even stuff that we knew that was true or the right thing to do. See, Jesus has repeatedly taught in Matthew's Gospel, and especially since chapter 15, about the evil that arises from out of our hearts. Words and behaviours that are like, you know, a thousand cuts. They just lacerate continually our relationships uh, with the people that we love who are around us. They damage, and, and sadly at times, so much damage is done. The relationship is what's dead. It's beyond repair. Such is God's love and wisdom. He's permitted divorce. Now, here's the context of marriage, isn't it? But just think with me. Who of us doesn't have, you know, a friendship that is no more? Uh, Or maybe a work relationship. Maybe a work relationship's gone so south uh, that it's divorced. You see, it's, it's the idea that it's a recognition. Divorce is just a recognition of something that is not right and, and, and deeply broken in a relationship. But what are these things that come out of our hearts that lacerate and destroy our relationships? Well, things like anger that can lead even to murder. Things like lust that can lead to adultery. Sexual immorality. Lying. Theft, stealing, false witness, slander, gossip, pride. This is not an exhaustive list. (laughs) This is why all humans need Jesus. You ever wondered why chapter 18 comes before chapter 19 in Matthew's Gospel? (laughs) What's Jesus just been teaching about in, in chapter 18? He's just called upon people, especially his followers, to be merciful like the Father that we are to be repeatedly forgiving each other from the heart, from the heart and without limit. Now that God, God kindly permitted humans divorce when the damage is beyond repair, it reveals just how impossible it is for hard hearts, obstinate, unyielding, unforgiving hearts to forgive and be merciful like a heavenly father. We need outside help. We need to be rescued. We need the divine to come in and do heart surgery on us, literally. Which is literally, excuse the pun, is what it is at the heart of the new covenant. God doing heart surgery through Jesus and his cross. It's why Jesus is named Emmanuel, 
at the beginning of the gospel, God with us. It's why he's named Jesus. His name means God saves. God sent his son to save his people through the forgiveness of sins. Christianity is a rescue mission because humans, all humans, we need rescuing. But in verse 10, did you hear the disciples' conclusion? That far out, if there's no free-for-all divorce, it's better not to marry. (laughs) Which reveals something about their own hearts, doesn't it? And again, Jesus never to waste a teaching opportunity. You know, every crisis, everything is a teaching opportunity, verses 11 and 12. So urgent is it that entry into his kingdom for every human happens. So urgent is it that every human has the opportunity to enter into his kingdom. That while it's, it's, it's good to marry, it's also just as good to remain single and live like a unit for the sake of others, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And it's, you can see here on the posters, you've got Naomi and, 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 um, and Emily who, who are up there in Darwin going the distance for Jesus. At the moment, they're choosing to remain single, getting on with the Lord's work. So Jesus' point is it's equally good here. Married, stay single, do whatever's going to be best for the kingdom of heaven. That's why every human needs Jesus and why people were bringing their little children to Jesus, which is that second point, the way to life with Jesus. Boys and girls and grown-ups all need the divine forgiveness that Jesus is offering and parents are just twigging that, ah, we've got to bring our kids to Jesus as well uh, so they can have what he's offering. Jesus' disciples, of course, they rebuke the people, the parents, from bringing their own children from coming to Jesus. Again, it just reveals their own hardness of heart, the heart problem that they have as well. And again, Jesus uses the opportunity to teach, this time, how little children actually exemplify the way that any human, any human no matter their rap sheet, whatever you've done or not done, whatever your pedigree, this is how any human can enter the kingdom of God and find life with Jesus. He says in verse 13, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You see, just like our four children entered this world really weak, that is, totally dependent on myself and Gita for life and everything, Jesus says that to such as these, if we, if we bring this attitude, realizing we've got nothing to bring, and Jesus has everything we need to enter the kingdom, to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus. And that's just a beautiful promise for anyone here this morning who is, you know, yet to do this, yet, yet to actually really take on this attitude of a toddler and come empty-handed, come like a toddler to Jesus to receive what he longs to give you. Please talk to Scott uh, more about that uh, afterwards, if that is you. I said to you I would talk a little more about, um, I think there's a photo here of um, of Taylor. Is there a photo? Yeah, she is. Taylor up here. Um, I met Taylor uh, when I was with Gemma and Beth uh, having a snitty at the Roxby Tavern, as you do up there when you're in Roxby. So, if uh, you want a bit more information about that, um, just talk to these guys over here, Indy. So, um, but Taylor, anyway, when I met her, she was an 18-year-old teenager. She was pregnant. Um, Taylor was abandoned by her mum at birth. Her dad, who works in the mines, has literally raised her. So she's sort of a mining community girl, if you like. The father of her baby shot through the moment he found out she was pregnant. 
Anyway, there's Taylor one Sunday morning walking uh, past Roxby Community Church. Something for some reason caused her to turn back and she walked in to the church. She decided um, and, and she was immediately welcomed. And one of the people who welcomed her was Gemma. So that remember Gemma? So Gemma up here. And she took her along during the week to the new parents' mums group. Um, she invited Gemma home for a meal. Here uh, and Lockie, they invited Gemma, uh, invited Taylor. Gemma invited Taylor to their um, midweek Bible study group. Anyway, Taylor has now become a Christian. And Taylor now knows she's loved by God and that her God will never, ever, ever abandon her, ever. What a cool thing for Taylor to know. Of course, she's now had her beautiful little boy, Clifton. And she knows that whatever the world throws at Clifton, that God has got him. And she's so keen for him to grow up knowing the love of Jesus for his life. She's so thrilled that Gemma and Loki will be godparents, that they've actually welcomed her in like family, like the family she's never had. Glenn and Gemma, they're currently meeting to work through Christianity Explored because, in fact, I think it might even be this weekend, Taylor and little Clifton are being baptised. How beautiful is that? But here's the cool thing as well. Taylor is bringing on, along her not-yet-Christian friend, Pepper, <laughs> and she started asking all sorts of questions about Jesus. Could Taylor be a little bit like the woman at the well, the little town of Sychar, through whom God's going to use to reach so many more people in Roxby? God is doing beautiful things in the bush. Well, that's just one little example, again, of the way you enter life with Jesus, the way into his kingdom. Sadly, what follows is uh, an example of how to miss out on life with Jesus, how to stuff it, really, how to forfeit it. Verse 16, and behold, a man came to Jesus. We learn in verse 22, this young man had great possessions, many possessions. He comes from the opposite end of the social scale to little children. I mean, this guy, he's grown up with privilege, power, wealth, status, good connections, you know, being to uni. Um, I mean, surely he has better prospects being part of God's new world. I mean, surely he's first in line, really. He's first in line in the world. Why wouldn't he be first in line um, in God's economy? This guy, he's got as good as security uh, that you can chase after and have in this world. But here's the thing. He knows that something's missing. Something's not right. He's, that he's come to Jesus with the right question, that this is really good. But he's, he's coming at life. He's now, in the present, he's coming at life from the vantage point of the future, of God's future, looking at life through God's kingdom, wanting to be a part of God's new world when he dies. And that's a really, really good thing. Really good thing. And if, again, if that's you this morning, it's really good you're here. Really good you hear. Here's his question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And what a great question. Cuts to the point. Jesus, what's the good deed that I'm lacking off my resume to make sure I enter into heaven? What's missing? I know something's missing. Now, this is not a child's perspective, you know. Has anyone's child ever come to you and, and said, oh, mum and dad, what, 
what what's the one thing I must do, you know, to to, to sort of you to be my mum and dad, <laughs> to be able to come home tonight? It's not how it works, is it? Well, maybe it does in some households. I don't know. Talk to Scott afterwards, especially if that's you. But uh, rightio. But Jesus answers the young man according to his folly, not to shame him, but that he might find life with Jesus. Jesus' first correction, it's a common mistake, isn't it? We can all make it, and we'll keep making it. Make it with God, and we make it with with, with people we're in relationship with. It's when you reduce the goodness of a person or the goodness of God to a good deed or a rule or a ritual. It's sad. And Jesus says to this young man, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. And of course, that's God. But Jesus is actually doing something a bit more here. Jesus is actually asking him, you've come to me, but do you see my goodness? Do you see my godness? Do you see who I am? The sinless son of God can to fulfill the commands of God that, so that you can enter into life with God when you die. Can you see that? Second, while Jesus only gives him four of the Ten Commandments, okay, in verse 18, he only gives him four, I want us to notice in verse 19, the last one that Jesus gives him is actually not the commandment to not covet what your neighbor has. Do you notice it's not that commandment? No, 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 Jesus doesn't give him a commandment at all. He gives him the summary of the entire Old Testament law from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not one of the Ten Commandments. That's a summary of the whole law. Now remember, he's trying to love this guy. He's trying to lead him to life in the kingdom. But it takes us back to the Sermon on the Mount, to Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' first sermon, when he, he teaches his followers that loving your neighbor includes your enemy. He redefines neighbor, that it includes people who we perceive or who are at enmity with us. So in saying that he had fulfilled all the commandments in verse 20, this young man was revealing not only his ignorance about what he really needed from Jesus to enter life, but that he was just completely out of touch with his own heart, with the health of his own heart. That he was one of the self-righteous coming to Jesus as if like, well, you know, everything's really okay and yeah, I might be lacking this or that, but you know. And we know how dangerous that can be just medically when you, uh, you know, you're not in tune with just the health of your own body. But again, notice Jesus loves this lost, self-righteous young man by exposing the thing that needs exposed so he can repent and turn and be saved. He exposes his covetous love for his many possessions, his true love. And so Jesus issues the same call that he's given to every other disciple who's following him in Matthew's gospel. He said, if you would be perfect or complete, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Again, Jesus has already talked about the futility and meaningless of storing up treasures on earth back in Matthew chapter 6, that these things cannot save you from the grave. They cannot save you from God's judgment. 
According to Jesus, the only treasure in heaven that is rust-proof, that is dust-proof, and that cannot be destroyed is the treasure. It's God's treasure. It's, it's, it's heavenly treasure. Of course, it's the treasure of his son. That this young man was not able to leave his wealth to follow Jesus and, and he goes away sad, it reveals a true condition, doesn't it, of his unyielding, obstinate, hard heart, where he thought that his security for life in this world um, was enough. It's where his true trust was. And again, notice the contrast with the little children that are brought to Jesus earlier. The little children who have nothing, this young man, he has it all. And yet his wealth and his possessions, it was the very snare, the very snare that was causing him to miss out on entering life with Jesus in his kingdom. And I think for all of us, you know, living in a part of the world and a part of Australia where we are in the top, you know, whatever it is, 0.05% or whatever it is, it's ridiculous with, with our own material wealth. We just need to be sober-minded with our own possessions, our own wealth where our heart's first loves are, as Jesus goes on to teach, that it is only with great difficulty that the rich are saved. And of course, again, for the second time in the chapter, the disciples are shocked in verse 25. If it's so difficult for the prosperous and the first people on earth, like this young man, to be saved, who then can be saved? I mean, if this guy's going to miss out, then what hope for us? Jesus' assurance to them and to us this morning is that what is impossible for humans will be made possible with God. And of course, it has been made possible, hasn't it? Because Jesus is God himself finding a way to rescue unyielding, stubborn, hard-hearted humans like you and I, like this young man, to rescue them to, to come and be part of God's new world. And God's way, of course, is through his sons sin atoning death for us in our place well the chapter finishes with peter having a wobbly moment doesn't it jesus like we've we've left a lot to follow you what's in it for us (laughs) have you ever thought that or wondered that in in response jesus makes this just it's a stunning beautifully beautiful promise i think it's one of the most beautiful promises jesus makes in the New Testament. Verse 29. It should be behind me. Everyone, that is anyone, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. He's not saying like you've got to physically leave them. This is about whoever has put me first in their life. Whoever is not ashamed of me with their mum and dad or brother and sister or family or friends or in the workplace. That is, whoever has put me first will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And of course, yes, it does include those who have left, physically left and going the distance overseas or in Australia or wherever to actually make Jesus known. But he, he finishes the chapter, you know, on repeat, repeating what he's been teaching for the whole chapter, that eternal life and citizenship um, in God's new world, it's a gift to be received, not earned. It's impossible to earn it. It's an entry that can only be inherited on the basis of Jesus' death. 
It's it's not something that we can actually um, have based on our pedigree, our status, our race, or privilege, or power, or possessions. It's just completely the wrong economy. It's the it's just the wrong key to enter into heaven. Jesus is the key. His death. It's a gift. And then that beautiful punchline that Jesus finishes the chapter with. Many of these first people who seem to have it all on earth will be last. They are going to miss out because they just, they just weren't able to let go of what they needed to let go of in order to properly turn to Jesus and entrust their life and their future to him as their Savior, Lord, and God. And in the Gospels, who are these people? Well, they're people like the disciples. Now, just think what a ragamuffin lot the disciples are. You've got uneducated, you know, you've got people from Galilee. That's like... You know, people from, I don't know, pick a place. They're fishermen. What's that? I I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to name a state. Beautiful, mate. Do we have anyone here from Tasmania this morning? Over here. All right. I think you've got some work to do, brother. So, uh, but... You've got fishermen, you've got the blue collar, but you've got educated people as well. And hang on a minute. There's a really rich young man following Jesus, isn't there? His name's Levi, Matthew, who's the author of this gospel, who left it all to follow Jesus. Oh, so if you have money and material wealth, you can be saved. See, all the disciples have left whatever they've needed to leave to follow Jesus who promises to lead them into eternal life with him by his cross. And so I think the question the chapter leaves us all with this morning is, or who or what are the possible worldly snares that may be choking you, holding you back from following after Jesus more fully, more joyfully? Are there treasures on earth that you need to ask Jesus to help you to let go of? Relationships, I don't know, whatever it is, so that you can just give your heart and know more fully the joy of following Jesus, of serving him, of serving his church and serving his mission in the world. Friends, how good is it that the McDonald's took their five small children halfway across Australia to live in the middle of the desert in South Australia at Roxby? convicted that they too needed to hear the good news of Jesus. How good that they're willing to count the cost now their kids are growing up. They've got to send them off to school down here in Adelaide, but they're choosing to stay. How good is that for the people of Roxby? And the reason, what gives them the courage to do that? What gives has given men and women and couples and families and empty nesters and retirees the courage to go the distance with Jesus into the regional or remote Australia over 100 years? Well, I think it's this promise, isn't it? And it's where we will find courage for us to step out in faith for Jesus and for the sake of the lost. That everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sakes promises Jesus. You will most definitely receive a hundredfold and you will inherit eternal life and if you want to hear a couple who have done that who should be retired then come along Tuesday night and hear the Waltons tell their story they are having the time of their life yes working their guts out up there but they're having the time of their life in the territory 
their best season yet for Jesus. Who would have thought? Can I pray for us? Merciful Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, that you've given us your word. You've given us this, this passage of scripture this morning. Please, will you help all of us to go away and to ruminate and to pray over uh, this word and those parts that we need uh, for you to uh, do a work on in our own hearts. Thank you that you really are the ultimate heart surgeon, the divine heart surgeon, who can come in and give us brand new hearts. New hearts, full of love and grace and mercy. Help us to be uh, people and to have hearts after your heart who are merciful and gracious and forgiving and loving and generous to our neighbour, whoever that neighbour is in the coming days and weeks ahead. And especially, I pray for any of us here this morning that, that are stirred to, uh, to turn away and turn more fully to you. Uh, I pray you'd bless everyone to know more the joy of Jesus, of following you, of trusting your good promises for our lives and even those that may, may end up um, uh, leaving the city for a while to go and actually have an adventure for you in the bush. Thank you for those that have gone. Help us to know the joy of partnering well with them as we seek to see the nations living in regional rural and remote Australia come to know the good news of your son. We pray this in your precious and powerful and beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.